Dietz and Watson's been making meats and cheeses the right way since forever. What's that mean? It means never cutting corners, ever. It means cooking, not processing. It means our Virginia brand ham that's cooked to perfection, then twice baked to layer the flavors. It takes more time, but you can taste the difference. We come to work every day to do it the right way, even if it's the hard way. Because if it's not right for us, it's not right for you. Dietz and Watson, it's a family thing since 1939. Life is a highway. And on it, there will be many chicken sandwiches. But there's only one crispy. So go ahead and hit the turn signal if you know about this juicy gem of a detour. internet friends hello welcome back to another episode of the Roto world football podcast thank you for being here thanks for taking time out of your day to interact with us i really appreciate it my name is josh norris if you're new here and you enjoy the podcast hit the subscribe button it's a great show we have planned today and i just want you to know that i already am certain that friday's episode another friday five this time with roto pat so as always if you have any questions about football about food, about life, and you just want to hear us ramble on about it, send it to me on Twitter, or even better, my Instagram, which is Josh J. Norris. I'll for sure get to them if you leave it there. All right, start today's show by saying hello to Rich Rebar. Hello, Rich. What's going on, Josh? You know, winter is no longer coming as came and went, uh, but fantasy football is really starting to ramp up. You know, we started working on the the draft guide, which you go. guys will be able to have, you know, midsummer. But uh, it's really, really starting to move downhill as far as the analysis goes. Uh, and also, Ray Solomon, Ray, we are less than one week away from the most important sporting event this year. How do you feel? Uh, nervous. This is the second year in a row we have to face a playoff final for Aston Villa to perhaps yes. go into the Premier League where they rightfully belong, yes. the top flight of the English of the English Football League. But uh, I, I'm feeling confident. I'm feeling pretty good. But uh, I know that Villa just likes to disappoint us. So we'll probably all end in tears. Ray, I've actually legitimately had people come up to me IRL and tell me they don't care about any sports yet they care about Aston Villa because of you and I talking about them relentlessly. So I think we've done our job on that front. You know, maybe they should just well, like bring to, us over there one year. Who knows? I got to spend all weekend with a Leeds fan and that was just Ooh. the best, the best <laughs> moment of my life. Just the best moment of my life. Uh, so today is a little bit different um, as all these off season podcasts are, you know, I got to thinking about players that didn't necessarily surprise us last season, but really broke out in a big way and achieved the potential we always talk about names like Christian McCaffrey, George Kittle, heck, even Tyler Boyd, players that really jumped up a few notches in their placement at their position. And so I thought it'd be a fun exercise for us to maybe try to predict, nominate a few players that might do the same thing this year. So how this podcast is going to go is we each will go around the room, nominate one, talk about that player, why we think they are going to break out. And then the other two people will either agree, disagree, react, correct them, critique them, all that good stuff. Um, Rich, why don't you start us off? 
Uh, well, let's start it off with uh, Otarius Jabari Howard. Love it. Uh, you know, I, I wish that he would go by Otarius Jabari, too, instead of OJ. You know, not a lot of people that have the initials for their first name, uh, that there is a reason for that, but not Otarius Jabari. He should definitely keep that. <laughs> and put, We should definitely try to market this. Um, but, you know, Otarius Jabari, he missed uh, the final six weeks last year with an ankle injury. It was the second year in a row he had an ankle injury that put him on iron in the season. But he had uh, a significant jump last year in his production. He went from 1.9 catches per game to 3.4 second year, 56 and a half yards per game. That was the fourth in the NFL. Only the big three that you know at the tight end position had more receiving yards per game than him. Once again, he showed those, he kind of lived off those big splash plays, 16.6 yards per catch. That was a second year and he's, in a row, he's done that. And over his 10 games when he played, he was actually the tight end six for fantasy. And he did that on just 4.8 targets per game. Mm-hmm. Now, normally that would be something that would kind of we'd raise like I'm a red flag at. You know, he's he's hyper efficient on low volume, but it's set up for his usage to take another uh, spike again this year. Tampa Bay lost 37 percent of their team targets. It's the fourth highest rate in the league. Now, Chris Godwin, who we all love, can't take them all. Chris Godwin already had 15 percent of the team targets. So even if we get him to somewhere like 20. 25% at a high-end share, you know, we've got a big, hefty leftover sum, and the wide receiver three and four positions are just objectively way worse than they were a year ago. I mean, you take get rid of Deshaun Jackson and Adam Humphrey, and now we look at this roster, and it's Brashad Perriman, Justin Watson, Scott Miller. There's really no receiving backs on this roster. There are just nowhere for these targets to really go except for default to O.J. Howard, who is – by miles away, the third best player in the passing game on this offense. Now, everyone's going to bring up this offseason that the narrative is that Bruce Arians doesn't use his tight ends, uh, even though he's never really had any good ones. Heath Miller was a tight end two. Uh, tight end one in two of his seasons with him is he had two rookie tight ends in 2012 with the Colts and those guys combined for 70 catches nine 800 yards uh, and five touchdowns. Um, I just think that Bruce Arians is one of those guys that he's smart enough to work talent to scheme and not backwards like a lot of coaches do. And when you, you're going to have the coaching narrative spun that he doesn't use them, but uh, OJ Howard in terms of opportunity and talent, it, everything is there for him to make a jump this season. If he can stay on the field. So rich, I'm going to act like you're not here for a moment. Okay. And I'm going to talk with Ray, <laughs> Ray, how scared yeah. of you are, are you that OJ Howard isn't the only tight end on the bucks. It's Cameron Brait who has had very productive seasons in his past as well. Well, first of all, I'm very scared of me. And secondly, <laughs> Sorry. Uh, just in general, uh, my doctor tells me that. Okay. But the second part is that I'm not that scared of Cameron Brait. I understand the idea. I mean, it seems like Winston and Brait have had a, a good connection in the past, which is odd uh, that he's not using O.J. Howard. But I think what Rich laid out there is is really important, and that is that – this guy is at worst the third best player in this passing game. Mm-hmm. They lost a lot of targets. And the concern I had without OJ Howard kind of coming out of his rookie year is that so much of his production was on big plays. And I was worried that that was just going to kind of go away. But then, as Rich pointed out, those big plays just stuck around. It looks like, as his profile would suggest, obviously, but it looks like those big plays are going to stick around 16.6 yards per reception in back-to-back seasons as a rookie. I mean, health is the other concern. If you're going to try to discount the Bruce Arians argument, which is fine with me, but health is a concern. He's played 24 games now and in two seasons, but I think that everything makes sense there. Cameron Bray is just not the same level of player. And I think we have to, at some point, just trust this coaching staff is going to 
put their best receivers, their best pass catchers in position to make plays. And OJ Howard is clearly one of their best pass catchers. Rich, I just want to tell you that I'm personally offended at your needless shots at Justin Watson <laughs> and Scott Miller. Those those were not needed on this podcast. I like those guys. I think I've represented those guys as uh, positive dynasty <laughs> stashes, but we don't know. It's a bag <laughs> of unknowns, those guys. And Cameron Bright's been objectively uh, a player that's declined consistently in the NFL. So we're actually always looking for <laughs> – because it seems like you know George Kittle has replaced Rob Gronkowski in that mm-hmm. top three tight end. We are looking for that fourth. And I think a lot of people might be mentioning someone like Hunter Henry to be that fourth option, right? A, mm-hmm. a younger tight end that can develop and, and fill that role. But Rich, I, I absolutely think it's conceivable the former number 19 overall selection, O.J. Howard, uh, could be that fourth tight end this year. Yeah, that team is gonna also wing it around. They're one, they're objectively bad on offense again. Yes. They're gonna and they push the ball downfield in this game. You know, Bruce Arians uh, wants push ball downfield. Uh Jameis Winston has consistently thrown the ball downfield for better or worse in, in his career in the mm-hmm. NFL. Uh yep. they're gonna play in a lot of shootouts. And per Warren Sharp this year, uh, who does all the strength and schedule analysis that we put on Roto World, they have the softest projected passing schedule again. So everything just lines up here uh for the opportunity for a breakout. Rich, good start. Ray, let's turn to you. Go ahead. On that fourth tight end, just real quick, can we all agree that it's not Eric Ebron and people should stop drafting him? And it's not David Njoku either. It's just not. Can we just <laughs> we can all just agree on that and, and move on? I'm going to stick with the Bucks, and I'm going to pick the easiest option on the board, and that's Chris Godwin. Who, I mean, everything that Rich laid out for OJ Howard, you can you can even multiply that. For Chris Godwin, the targets are gone. Deshaun Jackson's gone. Adam Humphreys is gone. And more importantly for Godwin, every time he's actually gotten an opportunity, he has produced. I mean, to this point, when he gets when he gets targets, he produces. I think it's safe to say he's going to get them this year. You add on top the fact that they're talking about using him in the slot, which is, first of all, somewhere that has been very profitable in Bruce Arians' offense, as you can look at Larry Fitzgerald's uh, kind of years he spent with Arians and see that. And also for Chris Godwin, Godwin averaged 1.9 yards per target out of the slot in his career, which would have been the fifth best mark among receivers who played primarily in the slot, at least 50% of their routes in the slot last year. So Godwin has been very successful there. The targets are open there. We know that that's a good spot in this offense. We know he could be a touchdown scorer. We saw what he was able to do last year. I mean, you look at Godwin and I, I think it's I think it's very difficult to to poke holes in in his case to be a to be a breakout candidate. And maybe it doesn't happen. Maybe he doesn't take the step we expect. But all of the pieces are there for him. And then, as Rich said, this passing offense was one of the most productive in the league, actually had the most passing yards in the league last year. The Tampa Bay quarterback position was the second best fantasy quarterback situation Hmm. in the league last year. You look at all of that and you you don't really see much reason for that to fall off. I mean, I don't think the coaching change was a negative. I'm losing Monken. It's not great, but they brought in you know good offensive mind, especially with Bruce Arians there. As Rich mentioned, the defense isn't any better; it might be worse. So all of all of those things coming together, I don't expect this passing game to fall off. I think that Godwin is going to come and take a much larger share of this passing game, and that means that he could be a a really high end every week kind of starter if if he's able to kind of continue the progression that we've seen. And I believe he's entering his age 23 season, mm-hmm. if I'm not mistaken. He had an area of dominance coming out of college, which was contested catches, but he also was able to separate, right? I mean, he has great athleticism. And we hear this term rich all the time, right? That like, oh, he's best in the slot. Okay, maybe from a, a team construction standpoint, you can't have all your receivers succeeding just in the slot. But from a production standpoint, we love it when receivers are in the slot, aren't they? 
Yeah, you want guys that are able to do both, not just pure slot guys. And, you know, Godwin fits that bill. But Definitely. we want those guys to stack on, you know, those easy, high, efficient targets. You know, as we know, there's a, your depth of target, you know, is strongly correlated to your efficiency. So if you have a guy that is getting, you know, long balls, but he's able to mix in, you know, a lot of, you know, even if he gets in the in the slot, you know, 40 to 50 percent of the time and we can add those types of targets like a Juju Smith-Schuster, that's going to exponentially, you know, raise your outcome in the catch department and then the yards department. And then if you are good after the catch, you know, in terms of the yardage. But I mean, Godwin's a guy we'll hear all offseason and people will probably be like nauseated by it. But there's just just good reasons. It's hard to find a negative yeah. into why you would would go against, you know, uh, Godwin like Ray laid out. I mean, he's only going to be 23 years old. I mean, he's, he was 22 years old last year and had seven touchdowns and 840 yards as a part-time player. And in the six games he's played in his career without Deshaun Jackson active, he's averaged 73 receiving yards per game, 14.9 PPR points per game. And then you tack on another large chunk of targets from Adam Humphreys being gone and those slot opportunities. I mean, it's, it's just really hard to find a negative here. He's like four years younger than Kenny Galladay. Right. Let me uh, – and that's al- almost not a joke, well, by the way. What about Calvin Ridley? Yeah, same thing. Um, <laughs> and Kevin White, 20 years younger. Who knew? Uh, Ray, <laughs> let me ask you this because – if O.J. Howard is going to go up a notch, could Chris Godwin really go up a notch as well? Is it kind of an either-or standpoint uh, with these two pass catchers in the Bucks? Because we know Mike Evans is going to get his, unless unless you want to go out on a limb here and say it on this podcast that Chris Godwin can be the team's leading receiver over Mike Evans. Yeah, I don't want to do that. Okay. But what I will say <laughs> is that they lost – I mean, it wasn't just that they lost one player. They lost two players that had mm-hmm. seen – quite a bit of volume in Adam Humphreys and Deshaun Jackson. If we're saying that Chris Godwin is going to take a step forward, well, I mean, Chris Godwin already got quite a few targets last year. It's not like we're asking him to go from nothing to 120 targets. We're asking him to just bump up a little bit. And the same is true of OJ Howard, who, I mean, obviously got hurt, but he was getting not, not as many targets as maybe we would hope for him, but he was getting targets as well when he was healthy. So for both of these players, this idea of a breakout doesn't necessitate them getting six more targets a game. Mm-hmm. It necessitates them getting two or three more targets a game, especially with how efficient we know they can be. Uh, let's keep it in the NFC South for mine. And by the way, it certainly sounds like the Bucks are going to go 16-0 this season if, if the start of this <laughs> podcast is any indication. Uh, I'm going to go with Panthers wide receiver, pause, Curtis Samuel. Curtis Samuel, yes. And I'm going to lay out the yeah. case right now. Uh, first, let me tell you what he did in 2018. 65 targets, 39 catches, 494 yards, and five touchdowns. Let's recap the Curtis Samuel story here a little bit. He's a former second round pick, was drafted the same year as Christian McCaffrey, but really barely even played his first season, just notched like 115 receiving yards that first season because he dealt with a left ankle injury in mid-November. Now let's go to year two. He's prepared to have a pretty decent role in the Panthers offense, but then early September hits and he has a small heart procedure that basically keeps him out until week five. And he wasn't a consistent player until December, until December, like he just wasn't able to find a role in the starting lineup because Devin Funches was playing on the outside because they kept trotting Torrey Smith out there on the outside. But what did he do? Again, he went on to basically notch 500 receiving yards and five touchdowns. Um, in those final five games, he averaged eight targets. Uh, that was with a hobbled Cam Newton 
as we know. And I understand that DJ Moore is probably going to receive a ton of love this offseason. And I think a lot of it is warranted, right? I mean, as a rookie, he basically led the league in yards after catch. But what do I think translates year over year more than yards after the catch? Separation. And do I think that Curtis Samuel creates more separation and the most consistently on the Panthers? Absolutely. And you talk about outside versus inside. He's one of those players as well. 333 snaps on the outside last year, 131 in the slot. I'm not going to compare him to a young Stefan Diggs. I will not do that with Curtis Samuel. But there are shades, there are vibes that Curtis Samuel gives off in this offense. And it wouldn't surprise me at all if he's the Panthers' leading receiver in 2019. So you really took it there at the end. I did. I... (laughs) So it, it would be very tough to find a bigger Curtis Samuel fan, especially coming out of school than, than I was. I had him, I think, fifth in my dynasty rookie rankings that year. And I, I really do love him as a player. The The problem that with that is I they drafted DJ Moore in the first round last year. They went and used him as their number one receiver. He was highly successful when they gave him those targets down the stretch, as you mentioned, with the offense just collapsing under Cam Newton's injured shoulder. And so to, to think that Samuel's going to come out and suddenly jump DJ Moore, and it could certainly happen, but that that's really, I don't think, I, that doesn't seem likely to me, especially since DJ Moore fits what they were doing on offense last year. Were they doing that on offense last year because of Cam Newton's shoulder, because of that's kind of the way that they want to run their offense? I don't know. But this kind of catch short passes, make things happen after the catch. And as yeah. you said, after the catchability is, is not – is not kind of consistent from year to year, but it is consistent for certain players. We've seen Golden Tate kind of break that mold and just be a consistently great after the catch throughout his entire career. DJ Moore is in that Golden Tate mold, and I think that he could be one of those guys, and, and we'll see. It might not be true, but I think he could be one of those guys that is able to just consistently year on year create after the catch. Yeah. He fits that offense a little better. I think DJ Moore is going to be their number one receiver. I don't think it's going to be particularly close, but to your point, Curtis Samuel does, again, just like Chris Godwin, Curtis Samuel does not have a lot. I think he had 65 targets last year, right? Correct. So it's not like he has to jump a long way to get into fantasy usability. It wouldn't be that crazy to think that he jumps up to 100 targets with Devin Funches gone, with them hopefully giving up the ghost on Torrey Smith, with we'll see what happens with Chris Hogan. So like there are some names there, but it wouldn't be crazy to think he jumps up to that point. But ahead of more, mm-hmm. I, have, I have a tough time seeing that. Rich, are you also going to tell me that I am way off on this point? I mean, I think that Samuel's interesting at ADP. I just think there's also a lot of regression that needs to be cooked into what's going to go into his volume spike. I mean, he's a guy last year with his targets wasn't like ultra efficient. He had 6.4 yards per target over that stretch when he's playing 90% of snaps weeks 12 through 16. Um, he also really lived from a fantasy perspective off of touchdowns. He had seven touchdowns uh, rushing and receiving. It accounted for 31% of his PPR points, 43% of his standard points. Um, that That's just not a sustainable rate. And on the other hand, you have a guy like DJ Moore who was getting a lot more opportunity. Yeah. He went over seven targets per game in six of his final seven games. But on the other hand, only had two touchdowns. So you have a player that's uh, being productive with opportunity over that span. Those final seven games, with DJ Moore, he was the wide receiver, 23 uh, with just one touchdown. But he was 17th in the NFL in targets. He was 17th in receptions, 12th in receiving yards. So when you have pr- producing on that type of opportunity and you're not scoring touchdowns, I'm looking at that and I'm looking looking now 
off of that touchdown spike to elevate you. And now in year two, you, he's got that opportunity. We know that he and at the combine, all Ron Rivera did was talk about DJ Moore. He talked about him, uh, him as the number one receiver. He talked about how their offense doesn't require their wide receiver one just to be a vertical wide receiver one, but also work underneath. He said that he was. They talked about how um, DJ Moore's dual usage was just vital to them. He says both school skill sets. It's the most important thing is just getting him the ball. I think Curtis Samuel can do that exact same thing, though. Like we we have those. They didn't use him like that. No, they they did earlier in the season, but later in the season, they basically lined him up as an outside receiver. And I'm totally with you. Like he didn't play, what, 50 snaps and offensive snaps in a single game until week 12. Um, I don't know. I mean, maybe I've been watching too much television, Rich. (laughs) But from what I know, I know that separation does translate. And DJ Moore, I loved him as a prospect. I absolutely value single traits that can be dominant. And we know that DJ Moore as a rookie had a dominant trait that was almost unmatched other than Albert Wilson during that first season. But he doesn't separate consistently. Like he doesn't run routes consistently. And I but think you don't actually have to with the types of routes he gets. Right. And and I think I think <laughs> maybe the best version of the Panthers would be to utilize DJ Moore in the slot and kind of manufacture that space and those touches for him. But if we're talking about someone that is threatening defenses, play in and play out from a route running standpoint, to me that's gonna be Curtis Samuel over. And I think from from a opportunity standpoint it might not be in the numbers and i i reeves i will never question you or ray on any of those but just from a team offensive construction standpoint someone with his releases and his separation at the top of his routes curtis samuel to me is the obvious choice as as the the player that i could see cam newton relying on most when when it comes to those situations but again i'm going out on a limb here but curtis samuel wasn't that player after year one he became that player, and I think one of the reasons I liked him coming out of school, he he was very – I know people yelling that he's not Paris Campbell. And I understand there are some size differences It was the same there. role, though. You're right. But it was, the, it was the same role as Paris Campbell. And so what you liked about him, Curtis Samuel, coming yeah. out of school was that he had those change of direction traits right. to develop into a good route runner. DJ Moore has those same traits and is now coming out of his rookie year. So to think that and DJ super Moore young. is – and super young to think that he is, you know, a finished product in that regard too. I think that he could see a similar jump that Samuel saw as a sophomore. Sure. You know? there, there are some people that watch the Panthers week in and week out that think DJ Moore is Cordero Patterson. I am not one of those. Okay. okay. I, I think that he can definitely develop. And I, I think DJ Moore is a very talented player. I just think Curtis Samuel right now, again, shades of, of a young Stefan Diggs. And again, like, it's not like the Panthers brought in competition here. Like Devin Funch has got booted out when they didn't want to use them down the stretch in those, what, five games that Curtis Samuel was a starter, and they brought in Chris Hogan, Aldrick Robinson, and Rashad Ross from the AAF. Like, how, okay. do you, how dare you talk about Lord Aldrick like that? Uh, how dare you what, what disparage I think you, Lord Aldrick? What I think we just decided, though, like, if, so if we like, you like Samuel to break out, we kind of like more, or I do, and mm-hmm. then Ray likes him still, just progress as a player, shouldn't we just be in on the discount of Cam Newton then? Yes. Yeah. 100%. That, I mean, Cam Newton's ADP, and I get the shoulder stuff, but it's deeply confusing. It, it's deeply confusing how far down drafts he's falling. There are three things every homeowner wants their home to be. Smarter, safer, and more fun. What if I told you one link by First Alert has you covered? First, meet your family's new best friend. The one link, safe and sound. A hardwired, smart smoke, and carbon monoxide alarm with a premium home speaker and Alexa enabled. All in one sleek device. 
built with first alert safety technology and providing an immersive, great sound experience, the Safe and Sound elevates any home, but it gets better. One Link by First Alert also offers the One Link Smart Smoke and Carbon Monoxide Alarm that works with the One Link Safe and Sound. The device is easy to install and protects against both smoke and carbon monoxide. If smoke or CO is detected in the home, the smart alarm will notify you via exclusive voice and location technology and send a notification to your smartphone, whether home or away. A smart home should start with smart protection. And One Link by First Alert welcomes you to a smarter, safer home. Visit onelink.firstalert.com for more information. Again, onelink.firstalert.com. And we thank you, First Alert. I'm not going very far. I'm in a rush. It's too uncomfortable. Sometimes I just forget. Don't kid yourself. There's no such thing as a good excuse for not buckling up. If you've used any of these excuses or any others, you're putting yourself at risk of injury or death. In 2017, more than 10,000 people were unbuckled when they were killed in crashes. That's 51% of people killed in motor vehicle crashes that were not wearing seatbelts. No matter what kind of vehicle you drive, wearing your seatbelt is the best defense in a crash. Even when you sit in the back seat, you still need to buckle up. That goes for when you ride in taxis and use ride-sharing services as well. Cops are on the lookout and writing tickets, so why take the risk? In 2017 alone, seatbelts saved nearly 15,000 lives. So do the smart thing and buckle up every trip, day or night. Click it or ticket. This message has been paid for by NHTSA. Rich, start us off in round two here. All right. Um, I'm going to go with something fun. Uh, I I think that even right now, even with all the buzz, I still think that we have, have potentially a really good chance to be lower than we should be on Kyler Murray. Uh, I mean, you look at over the past 20 years, there's been Love 58 it. first round quarterbacks selected in the first round of draft of those 58 players. Just four have been a QB one. So already not great odds. But when we look at those four, Vince Young in 2006, Cam Newton in 2011, Robert Griffin in 2012, Andrew Luck in 2012, the one common thread is rushing production. Andrew Luck ran every year in his career till last year when he came back. And on a per-game basis, we've had a plethora of rookie running quarterbacks enter the league and make a direct fantasy impact over the past decade, some with questionable passing traits just last year, Josh Allen and Lamar Jackson, when they played were QB1s down the back half of the, street, uh, this back half of the season. And the ones that can do both, we talked about Newton, Dak Prescott was an ultra-effective uh, fantasy QB. Deshaun Watson was the QB one in points per game as a rookie, uh, just didn't get a full season. And you've got Russell Wilson, Robert Griffin, and luck who we talked about. Murray is one of those guys that's giving you both. He rushed for a thousand yards and 12 touchdowns. Uh, Then he set a collegiate passing record. No player in college football history averaged more adjusted passing yards per attempt than he had. 13 adjusted yards per attempt, uh, the Kyler Murray. He threw 42 touchdowns to just seven interceptions. He is a younger version of Baker Mayfield that runs. And Baker Mayfield made a jump all the way to QB Dynasty 2 in just a year. Uh, and then you talk about Murray, just like Deshaun Watson, as a guy that you, you worried about a little bit, but then just smoked Alabama coming out of the coming into the NFL. And Watson did the same both years in both those championship games. High leverage competition, uh, big leverage games, had his best games of the year. Um, and then you get the marriage now of Cliff Kingsbury. And we've yet to see, you know, a traditional air raid offense get transferred to the NFL. And, you know, we had, you know, some, you know, Air Coriel back 
back in the days. We had the run and shoot, but never has an, the offensive system of, you know, pass first offense been married to the rules like this situation is now in today's NFL. And you look at the 10 seasons at the collegiate level, the, the teams that Cliff Kingsbury has been associated with, his quarterbacks have averaged 701 pass attempts plus rushing attempts per season. Yeah. Now you get a little more play volume in college football level, but we should be able to get Kyler Murray over the 600 combined drop back plus rushing attempt in that dual usage. I just look at Deshaun Watson's first two years and Kyler Murray from a fantasy sense is that type of player, if not better. Yep. I, I love it. And uh, Ray, I think the only thing that is standing in our way here is the unknown because mm-hmm. yep. we don't know what the Cliff Kingsbury offense is going to look like. Maybe the draft results gave us a little bit of an indication that it's just going to be four wide a lot, which is fantastic and just backs up Bridges' point here. But then the other part of the unknown is the offensive line play from 2018, but it's drastically different in terms of the impact for a Josh Rosen as it was in 2018 versus what it's going to be for Kyler Murray and maybe even forces him to take off and run even more, which just backs up Rich's point of the rushing production as well because we've seen last year, and I mean, no doubt in my mind, Kyler Murray is a better player than Josh Allen. No doubt in my mind, Kyler Murray is a better player than Lamar Jackson. Uh, Colin Kaepernick when he was able to be a viable fantasy starter week in and week out because the Konami code, as Rich so puts it. Again, we're going to get that from Kyler Murray straight away, plus passing upside, plus a, a great offensive mind, we hope, at the NFL level. And it's just fireworks that's most likely in his future. And that's why I like Rich comparing him to Deshaun Watson, who yeah. is a excellent passer and can really – be explosive in the passing game, especially down the field, especially when Will Fuller is healthy. Please stay healthy, Will Fuller. But you look at all of those things, you say, all right, Kyler Murray can do that. And also, by the way, he's a better runner than Deshaun Watson. He is a more athletic player than Deshaun Watson and showed more of that in college. So if he could be Deshaun Watson with more rushing ability, then we're talking like his ceiling is literally the overall quarterback one. But I think the two concerns are first, the one you raised, Josh, about we don't know what this offense is. That offensive line, I actually think if they're able to stay healthy, is going to show better. But there are a lot of injury question marks on that offensive line for sure. The receiving core behind Larry Fitzgerald and Christian Kirk is still, even though they drafted receivers that I know all of us like, that receiving core is at least one of them. That receiving core is still is still very uncertain. So those are the uncertainties. The other problem is Rich kind of hit on this. What happens to his ADP? I think I was looking at fantasy football calculator and they said right now he's a quarterback 16. And at that point, all day, every day, I'm taking Kyler Murray. If it doesn't work out, I'll, I'll stream and that'll that'll be that. What happens if it goes up to that Russell Wilson range? What happens yeah. if we see what happened to Baker Mayfield after the Odell Beckham? Baker Mayfield right now is a quarterback four in fantasy drafts. And if that weren't the case, by the way, Baker Mayfield would have been one of my names on this list because I think that the breakout is coming. But everybody else agrees the breakout's coming, and that's the problem. <laughs> I, think that, I think that that could be the problem with Kyler Murray once the preseason hits, right. if the hype really starts to hit. And then that becomes, okay, do I really want to pay for – the uncertainty Mm -hmm. and it might work out. He might be Patrick Mahomes from last year. Like this might just all work out, but it's not certainly not certain, certainly not certain good English. It's certainly not certain that that is going to, that is going to happen. And you mentioned it like the first two weeks, the preseason, what if he just balls out? Right. And then it gets elevated to quarterback six or quarterback seven or quarterback eight. That might be too rich for my blood when it, when it gets Mm -hmm. to that Uh, rich Ray brought up, and so did you, Deshaun Watson. Now, Deshaun Watson had DeAndre Hopkins. Deshaun Watson had Will Fuller. Do we think that well, Kyler kinda. Murray – sorry, what? For, for parts of the he season. Kinda, yeah, he yeah, kind of sure, had Will sure. Fuller. Yeah. So do we think that 
at best, this roster of Larry Fitzgerald, Christian Kirk, and a whole bunch of rookies can help get Kyler Murray to that point from a passing standpoint on a consistent basis? Well, don't forget, too, that even though he had those guys, Deshaun Watson had no volume last year, yeah. like at all. Like he was throwing about 25 times a game for a stretch of the season and was still and was still getting in the mix because one, you're getting the rushing weight and two, you're getting the passing efficiency weight, which he's now carried for two years over in his career to Sean Watson. And then now here we're talking about a volume spike where not only are we looking at the rushing, the surrounding core is significantly worse. That is true. Although the offensive line is probably comparable or at least was yeah. to compare to what Watson had last year, uh, you know, cause Watson had the highest pressure rate in the NFL last year, um, which obviously aids a little bit of that scrambling but we're talking about the volume spike we don't know what, what we're going to get you know could this 600 dropbacks might be low we might be low on that I right, mean, it's, right. it's hard to say um and they're another team that objectively from a strength of schedule standpoint through warren sharp's analysis has one of the softer schedules in the nfl as well so i mean uh they're they probably not aren't going to have a good defense either not having patrick peterson start the year uh probably only you know adds to the volume boon rich my final question to you is this does it matter to you what type of rushing carries he has, whether it be your Lamar Jacksons, which are design runs, I believe, compared to Josh Allen's, which are off scrambles? Does it matter to you which of those might happen for Kyler Murray? Again, we don't know exactly what the offense is going to be like. I had some tweets about it last week because I've started to look at scramble rate and design run right now that we've got some sites actually tracking it. Uh, and scramble rate actually is really sticky. The Got scramble it. per dropback rate is like a, basically an R squared of like 0.709, which is like a pretty. Can you put that into English? <laughs> uh, so like, yeah, like so basically year over year scramble rate per dropback, basically 70 <laughs> percent ex- of what you did the year before explains what happens the next year. So it's consistent <laughs> is what you're saying. It's consistent. Yeah, uh, per dropback. Now, you might have some variance in terms of like yards per carry. So like Josh Allen's yards per scramble rate last year were the second highest since it's been tracked since uh, outside of 2010 Michael Vick, the year he went like just nuclear. Got it. Uh, so the scramble rate will stay consistent, but you might have years where the uh, yards per scramble, you know, you get some variance there, like a yards per carry, just something you get de- like you know, you typically see like Phil, we don't expect Philip Lindsay to rush for five and a half yards. Ray, you're up. So I, I was really trying to find a, cause I went with Chris Godwin and that's just a cop out and we all know that and I'm fine with it, but I was really trying <laughs> to find a, a kind of like under the radar, maybe breakout yeah, candidate. And like I don't Curtis know how Samuel. under the, like Curtis Samuel, <laughs> thank you. But one that might actually happen. And so I was trying to, <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, Josh. So, uh, <laughs> but yeah, I was trying to I was trying to find someone maybe a little under radar. I think he is, and that that for me is Kenyon Drake, who has a couple interesting things going on. First of all, I imagine people are terrified of him after last year. Correct. So that's nice if you're trying to find some value. That post hype sleeper kind of idea. And secondly, he's finally out from under the thumb of Adam Gaze, who hates him. Adam Gaze hates him more than he hates pictures of his eyes at the press conference. Adam Gaze hated Kenyon Drake. Like, he really did. The Dolphins' offense is probably going to be bad, but you look at it and you think, all right, there are going to be some opportunities here for workload. Drake in that backfield, I think he's the best player in that backfield. Now that Gaze is not there, hopefully we can go and see that. He does have Kalen Balaj. I think it probably will end up being a timeshare, but Drake has more experience, at least in the passing game, has shown more there. He could be that kind of player where he gets the passing game usage, which on a bad team, you obviously want that. I also think he can be more as a runner. And I think most importantly with Drake, 
every time he has given been given opportunities, he's been successful with them. I mean, you look at what he was able to do on the limited carries last year. He was successful. You look at what he was able to do with the targets he had last year. He was successful. He just hasn't really gotten those touches. He's never had more than 175 touches in a season. I think the opportunity is there for him this year to go over 225, maybe even get closer to 250 if he's able to kind of soundly beat out Kalen Balaj and maybe, you know, with that New England influence, maybe it's just going to be a timeshare regardless. But even if he gets to 225 touches with what he's been able to do on a per touch basis so far in his career, even in a bad offense with a bad offensive line, I think that he can be successful and have and have a bit of a breakout season. Um, Rich, look, I'm not going to ask and, and sit here and act like I know anything about Chad O'Shea as a play caller, okay, who is the <laughs> offensive coordinator for the Dolphins, right? I will not lie to you. Um, but we always talk about running back production in a lot of ways stemming from offensive line play. And Rich, if I asked you to name an offensive lineman on the Dolphins other than Laramie Tunsil, would you be able to do it? Oh, man. who's the, I forget the guy that they drafted. I mean, not many guys. Definitely not. <laughs> probably none. And, Off the top of my head, I've got nothing. Right. And so how much of an issue Nick is that? Nick O'Leary? They said Nick O'Leary. I'm no, counting no. him. <laughs> That's a tight end. Okay. I know. He's, well, he's not really a tight end. Yeah, he's a tight end. Anyways, so <laughs> h- how much does that scare you when trying to pinpoint backs that can really break out or even be successful? How much of that, in your opinion, is tied to offensive line play? Well, he's been good both years in terms of yards that generated after contact. And he was really good two years ago when he was given nothing and that opportunity when he actually could carry the workload. And we kind of got started to get excited about him coming into last year. But, you know, it turned out that that was just all pure necessity. And Adam Gase hated hated life. Uh, you know, don't let anything fool you about this. I mean, this running back blocking thing that Adam Gase, like, so everyone will tell you that he lost reps because he couldn't block, right? That Kenyon Drake was an objectively bad blocker. He allowed six sacks last year the next close running back allowed three but yeah. guess what Kenyon Drake never lost reps due to pass blocking it, all that is a complete narrative lie he was he, um Frank Gore pass blocked 19 times last year that's it right Kenyon Drake pass blocked 50 times there wow. was no volume loss for Kenyon Drake because he couldn't pass block he wasn't losing reps so Frank Gore could come in and block more that never happened uh at all it was just a legit split so whatever you want to label it like they just split the roles like but they never asked Frank Gore to come in and block and take over a role even though Kenyon Drake was bad at it uh and you know was objectively bad at allowing you know I said six acts another running back allowed more than three uh so that's just another one of those things where pass pro it's completely misrepresented one day Josh will let me have more time with this where I can actually give an actual take since he's misrepresented my take on it uh, multiple times on the show. <laughs> Who knew we had so much and, infighting on this podcast? Right, go ahead. And, and I think, and I think to kind of add another point to that, it, they kept using him in the passing game because he was good as a pass catcher. Mm-hmm. And so right. they, if they didn't, if they didn't keep him into block, he was actually successful in the passing game, which maybe just don't keep him into block. Like that seems pretty straightforward to me. So I, I think that, I think that this idea that, that Drake's bad in the passing game. He's bad as a pass protector, that's true. But if you go and look at what he was able to do as a receiver, he was actually very effective on, what, 73 targets? Like, it was a it was a pretty good target total for him. It, I don't think – I don't might not be that high. That was off the top of my head. But he got a pretty good target total and was actually successful doing it. So I, I think that you look at that ability in the passing game, and, and we know that coming from New England, or at least we would assume coming from New England, that they will they will kind of – 
emphasize that. And then you also look at what he can do as a runner if he gets more carries, the carries he should have gotten last year over Frank Gore. And I just think there's opportunity here for for a maybe not a full breakout. I maybe yeah. coach this a little bit, but a mini breakout into that kind of low end <laughs> running back two range. Rich, is Royce Freeman a good pass protector? I mean, does he play? <laughs> Let's move on to my final nominee, and that is on Johnson, another running back. <laughs> uh, this time with the Detroit Lions. Last year, on Johnson had 118 carries, 641 yards, and three touchdowns. Also caught 32 of 39 targets for 213 yards and one touchdown. Ray, not too long ago, you sent me one random night a text message during Carrion Johnson's draft process that said, hey, Carrion Johnson reminds me a lot of DeMarco Murray. I was like, no, he doesn't. What are you talking mm-hmm. about? Then when you watched him in the preseason, in the regular season, light up defenses, he looked a lot like DeMarco Murray. Let's now fast it's forward. almost as if you should trust me. <laughs> on occasion. <laughs> if I did that too often, then I don't know where this podcast would go. You'd have a lot of Rock Thomas. <laughs> <laughs> and not Mike Boone. Uh, okay. This offense now, the Lions this year, Okay. I think they have some really good offensive line talent, right? They've spent some early round draft picks. They've signed some free agents. When healthy, this offensive line is quite good. Now you add in Daryl Bevel as that offensive coordinator. And I know that, you know, Daryl Bevel hasn't, you know, completely won the hearts of every fan base that he has coached their offense, but he has coached some historically good rushing offenses. And that's what we care about here with Carrion Johnson. I'm not going to say that Carrion Johnson is going to, you know, sit there and get a Christian McCaffrey workload, right? 85%, 90% of the touches and snaps out of the backfield. That's not going to happen because, one, that doesn't happen for anyone else in the, in the league, basically. And, two, this is now a Patriots brain trust that is in the Lions. And so without LeGarrette Blunt and Zach Zinner, which I believe combined for uh, 200 carries between the two last year, which is massive, now you add in someone like C.J. Anderson. Sure, that's fine. But what I am going to tell you is there's no doubt in my mind that Carrion Johnson, who was very good, top 10 last year in yards after contact and creating on his own, winning on outside zone, winning on rushes in between the tackles, like I said, being super efficient in the passing game. Carrion Johnson, who right now is going as like a fourth-round pick in fantasy circles, to me is a, a, a great candidate for a, a breakout spot here in 2019. Yeah, I'd agree with that. I mean, you raised the concern. The concern is that they brought in C.J. Anderson, but if they are going to come in there and just run, if they're going to try to do Seattle from last year and just come in and run and run and run and run, there are going to be opportunities there for multiple running backs. And we'll see how able they are to do that. We'll see how much their defense allows them to kind of be in those scripts that that are going to give them those kinds of carry totals. But I I think that there's a big opportunity here for Kerryon Johnson who win – he was given touches was was very effective last year. But again, the, those concerns with with Anderson, I mean, if Anderson takes 150 carries, even like how how high can carry on Johnson go, you know? And Rich, my other pause, if I can just pick holes in my own argument here, and this <laughs> makes sense, is that last year, carry on Johnson was very successful when the Lions were winning football games. When they were losing yeah. football games, not so much. I'll go through a couple of his winning stat lines. 16 carries for 101 yards, okay? 12 carries, 70 yards. 19 carries, 158 yards. 15 carries, 87 yards. The rest, I don't think, topped 55 yards in a single game. And maybe he reached, you know, uh, 10 carries on a handful of those or a couple of those. So, like, really, Rich, this is reliant on the Lions being a much improved team as well. 
Yeah, I mean, that plays into to why you suggested Daryl Bevel had a lot of strong rushing teams because he also had some of the best defenses, True. you know, in in the recent history. But Carrion's uh, a, a tough guy to gauge because he was he was really good as a rookie, but he started out in like a pure timeshare. But the thing is, for fantasy, he was still pretty good during that timeshare. Yep. Um, you know, he was kind of floating around like that weekly RB25 range getting in weeks like that. And then week seven through 11, he played over 50 percent of the snaps in those five straight games. But he played just 70 percent percent of snaps in just two of those games now in those five games he was an rb1 in three of those five games an rb20 or higher in four of the five in those games he had more than 15 carries uh he had 15 carries or, or fewer in four of the five games went over 15 carries just once so you're already getting some of that timeshare kind of still baked in even when he what had his breakout over that span he averaged 17.4 touches per game the other detroit running backs average 10.7 touches per game that's still kind of a realistic expectation yep. to kind of have here you know as far as the timeshare with cj anderson and still theoretic which an nfl team still gives him touches for no reason um <laughs> so uh you know there's just no reason i mean you if you want to average if you want a guy that's going to average you know six and a half yards per catch you can just dump that down to anybody you just give it give it the ball to any running back in that span so i mean you're getting that kind of priced in i feel like he's he's kind of fairly priced even with the timeshare in and then if you get anything extra you can have that that breakout you know kind of equity like you're getting with Kenyon drake who ray brought up too and there's a range of outcomes where one of these guys is elevated just through take being the lead back and and, and you know negating all these guys um but i think it's also been proven though that anytime cg anderson has been given playing time he's been kind of kind of okay yeah yeah ray <laughs> i was pleasantly surprised by carry big playability as well like he could reel off some some big gains, um, and I don't think that that was really something that I knew he could do until he showed it off earlier in the season and midway through the season last year. And I think that kind of to Rich's point, he can be I, – I thought he could be good in the passing game, at least for when I was watching him in college. So maybe if we stop giving those those third-down steps to Theo Riddick – we could we could maybe see what see what he could do in in that regard as well. So yeah, I think there's certainly upside here. There are concerns, but that's there are concerns with all of these players. Like yeah. that's kind of that's kind of the exercise that we're doing right now. And Carrion this- missed uh, a large portion of the the second half of the season, but he didn't have to have surgery on that injury. So I did want to throw that out. Like it's just an injury he's already healed from as well. Thanks so much, everyone. Hopefully that was a fun exercise. Hopefully. Uh, some of those players actually, you know, make do and make good and make us look smart in the 2019 season. If you enjoy this podcast at any moment, hit that subscribe button. Be sure to leave us a rating and review as well. Apologies to the likes of Dante Pettis, Lamar Jackson, Josh Allen, a number of names I'm sure will hit on you for the rest of this offseason as well. Until next time, really until Friday. Talk to y'all soon. See ya. Dietz and Watson's been making meats and cheeses the right way since forever. What's that mean? It means never cutting corners, ever. It means cooking, not processing. It means our Virginia brand ham that's cooked to perfection, then twice baked to layer the flavors. It takes more time, but you can taste the difference. We come to work every day to do it the right way, even if it's the hard way. Because if it's not right for us, it's not right for you. Dietz and Watson, it's a family thing since 1939. Life is a highway, and on it there will be many chicken sandwiches. But there's only one crispy. so go ahead and hit the turn signal if you know about this juicy gem of a detour.